G'day and welcome to episode 95 of the Pack Heavy podcast where today I have guest Mickey Talebi who is the founder and CEO of Ume which is a Vancouver based startup company that is smoking really high quality tofu made from simple ingredients. Now Mickey has only been operational for just over a year and for those of you who are aware of Ume and Mickey I'm sure that you'll all be completely enamored with her stunning and memorable packaging and for those of you who haven't seen the Ume brand identity I strongly encourage you to scroll on down into the show notes and check out their website. Uh, it was the first thing that attracted me to Ume and I'm sure that you'll all agree that it is stunning. Now before we kick off in today's conversation with Mickey, I first wanted to give a little context behind this podcast for those of you who are new to the show. Now I guess the best place to start is that I run this podcast off the side of my desk. Uh, my full-time job is with a packaging company called Foodpack, where I help food-based CBG companies with their packaging and packaging equipment. And when I started at Foodpack a little over two years ago, I was new to the industry. I'd come from the coffee industry and I was out there chatting with business owners and operators just like you about their businesses and the challenges that they're all confronted with. And that's where I had the idea of creating this podcast so that I could essentially just document and publish these conversations for us all to learn from. Now, here we are over 95 episodes later. And um, as I said last week, this podcast really has turned into a great resource for business owners and operators out in the food processing and CPG world, as there really are an infinite amount of lessons that can be learned when talking with someone who has gone all in and executing on their vision, which is also the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, Pack Heavy, because more than anything, I find that these people are packing heavy on their vision. Um, they are all in, which is a mindset and a mentality, and that's something that I really respect and something that I also aim for in my life too. So, episode 95 with Mickey. This is an interesting one as Mickey has been operational for just over a year as I mentioned before and throughout the conversation a lot of what Mickey was saying was typical of the conversations that I've had with very early stage founders uh, with things like typical food production hurdles and crossroads for example. However, the real goal in today's conversation is in Mickey's approach to the Ume brand identity and her packaging development and the strong personal why which is driving her and the business forward. I found Mickey to be incredibly giving of her time and willing to share her story and she seems incredibly incredibly relentless in the pursuit of the success of Ume, which I tip my hat to. That really right there is the pack heavy mentality. So for anyone out there who is looking to take the leap from an idea and turn it into an operational reality, this episode really will serve as inspiration for you, uh, just to show how far you can really push in a year. Um, so that's it. If any of you have any questions from today's episode or would like to talk about how I can help you with your packaging or packaging equipment for your business, please shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com or you can also find me on LinkedIn, which is Hayden Thompson. Enjoy. Mickey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, you know what? I came across you on LinkedIn, like many of the people that I have on the show. And the thing that drew my attention to your business was your beautiful branding, like the packaging and the aesthetic. It's so bold and it pops. And I was like, I need to check this out. And then I think <laughs> I came across you at Andrea Gray Grant's um, trade show that she had a couple of months ago. It's probably more than a few months ago now. And uh, yeah, so listen, welcome to the show. And I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you. I mean, it's amazing that you came across me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm just starting to to reap the benefits of it and, and understand just how valuable it is for networking. I really didn't lean into it yeah. prior to um, this, this change in career. So that's really cool. And then, yeah, Andrea Gray Grant's trade show was just an amazing sort of launching pad for for all of the exciting things that have happened so far. 
That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it was. That's for sure. Um, you know, I went to her show last year and I met a lot of great entrepreneurs and business owners and operators out there and quite a few of them have appeared on the show. And uh, yeah, same with this one as well. I think I've had three or four people on too. And it's great. Like, you know, speaking to people like yourself, you know, you've only been in business for one year. And I think that first year, there is so much to be learned and so many stories to be told. And, you know, then I'll come and I'll talk to someone that's been in business for 26 years. And there is, you know, a hell of a lot of a journey um, that's gone on there too. So listen, I really love the startup story. So, um, you know, I always like to start the conversation with where are you from? Uh, was born in Vancouver, actually. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, um, my parents were just huge globetrotters. So like my my first couple of years, they lived in the Philippines. My dad started like a seafood business. And then um, most of my childhood was in Kelowna. Uh, when I turned 10, we lived in Australia. They just oh, wow. wanted to explore the tropics. So we lived in North Queensland for about five years. Where were you? Like um, up near Cairns or Port Douglas, kind of way? We lived in Cairns, exactly. Oh, in Cairns. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a beautiful yeah. part of the world. You're so lucky. Amazing. I took yeah. it for granted. I didn't realize <laughs> how amazing it was and what yeah. an experience it was. How old were you um, when you were there? I was 10 years old. We spent five years there. My dad at the time had a wholesale seafood business um, in Kelowna and he mm. would just quarterly commute back and forth and, and wow. have meetings over like I just have visions of him standing on the balcony in Australia talking to his team back in Kelowna yeah. on the satellite giant <laughs> phone yeah um, and then and then the business started kind of taking a bit of a nosedive and so we all moved back to Kelowna right um, and finished off high school there uh, then went to university at UBC um, I was seeing my boyfriend who's now my husband and he was at UVic, I was at UBC, uh, and then I did a co-op in Japan during that time. He transferred over to University of Saskatchewan, and then, then I switched over there, finished off undergrad at U of S, and then I did my master's and my PhD at Carleton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in Ontario? And finished off school in Ontario, yes. Wow, okay, you have, yeah. you have jumped around. So you've come from the <laughs> mental health sector. So what is it exactly that you studied at university? Yeah, so I did my master's and PhD, um, both in experimental psychology, mm. just really learning how to um, piece together um, a robust study, collect data, analyze the data, publish um, in academic journals. And so mm-hmm. it was a very academic heavy mm. um, PhD, which lent itself to um, me working at SFU for a couple of years mm-hmm. and then at Canadian Mental Health Association. My PhD was in the stigma of seeking help for mental health issues, um, mm. primarily focused on depression. Yeah, and then uh, and then Canadian Mental Health Association was like a a, a great sort of um, complement to that. Yeah, 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 but and it, it's mm-hmm. been a hell of a stigma as well to break. But I kind of feel that we are definitely pushing through it now, and you know the whole. Um, the emerging sort of um, industry of the psychedelic sort of uh, therapies that are going hand in hand with all of the psychotherapy and, you know, the stigma, the stigma that sort of um, that goes hand in hand with um, psychedelics as well is one that's definitely breaking. So yeah, you've come from a really interesting industry and sort of um, world. So I guess with all of the the study and so on that you've done, that would lend itself really well to a lot of market research and the analytical sort of, um, num- you know, crunching of data and so on as well. 
I mean, yes, you would think so. I okay. I will say like looking at the financial side of the business and, yeah. and that side of it, it's not my strong suit. That's yeah. definitely my husband's side. Okay. Um, but but I will agree, like doing some research and being very detail oriented. Yeah. Um, and and the organizational component, I do think like those are skills mm. that were definitely transferable. Yeah. And academia is also just it's very challenging. There's a mm. lot of um like the acceptance rate to get into journals, for example, like it's just, it's just so minute. And so mm. the determination and the resilience and even just those personality traits, um, I think that those are also transferable pieces that, mm-hmm. that I've um, had to flex over here and, and just maybe growing into myself and, and learning that receiving a no is just one less no to have to hear next time. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, one thing I've always found fascinating about people that come from sort of like the mental health um, side of the world, when I've spoken to them and spoken, you know, had really long conversations about what they learned during their coursework and so on, they've probably found themselves more throughout that period and learned more about themselves in that period than anything else, just because of, you know, the amount of reflection that they've probably done on themselves too. Is that something that you found? I do. I do yeah. find that there's lots of self-reflection, sometimes maybe even over-analyzing because mm. there's just so much information that that um, that I was able to consume during that time. And yeah. even with raising my kids, I mm. find that I lean into reading into some things more than maybe like um, a parent that, that hasn't gone um, through the academic rigor that I have. Yeah. And so you have to strike a balance between like, this is just a normal part of childhood and, mm-hmm. and wanting to get them the tools and, and the resources right away and, and support whatever they might be going through. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And parenting. Holy shit. <laughs> parenting. What a challenge. <laughs> parenting <laughs> is the hardest. <laughs> oh my gosh. Parenting and marriage, yeah. they go hand in hand as two of the most rewarding, but two of the most challenging things in life, I believe. Um, how old are your kids? My kids are five and eight. They've just finally both gotten into um the school system which yeah. is a yeah. milestone yeah. yeah okay that's massive yeah my yeah. son just started kinder this year as well so he just turned five on saturday and uh, my daughter turns three next month so yeah very much in the same world as you right now so you went through the gradual um entry yeah. into a full day of school yeah yeah us over here it took yep. about two weeks yep. to lead into a a yep. full day at school. Us too. Yeah, us too. And <laughs> so crazy. it was kind of cool because I've just come back from three weeks vacation and my parents were out from Australia visiting. And, you know, it was a huge period of transition for the kids because mm-hmm. my daughter just started preschool. My son just started kinder and like you said, gradual entry. But it was awesome because I could be there and, you know, with my wife and, you know, really hold his hand through that period. And, yeah. um, but yeah, no, it's so good. My wife now has a Tuesday and a Thursday to herself and she's like, I'm going to be able to fold the washing now. <laughs> you know, I know, like... right? Well, mine's sitting upstairs, but yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I got to say yeah. when mum and dad were out here, they were incredible. Mum just got right in there and helped us with our washing and it was awesome. Like it was so special having them out here and, mm-hmm. you know, now that they've gone, we're definitely going through a, um, you know, a period of feeling a little as if you know, the distance between us is, uh, it's huge between Australia and Canada, as you know, but FaceTime's incredible. And mum and dad, I know you're listening to this. I miss you greatly. So yeah, (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to come on out. It meant so much to Ash and I and the kids. Um, yeah. So let's get stuck into Umi. I want to start with their name. It's a really unique name. And I know that like, you know, I want to get stuck into sort of like, you know, what sparked the idea where it came from and so on, but I always like to start with sort of like the name. How did that come about? Sure. 
Um, so, I mean, originally the business with, was with my sister. And when we first were exploring this, we actually had called it the clean bean mm. um, because the vision was we would make our own tofu and we would use like re- really great ingredients, very clean ingredients, <clears throat> organic sourced from Canada, all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even went so far as to look into um, trademarking and incorporating. And then uh, when we started working with um, our our brand um, person, Tyler Quarles, he came aclo- across a tofu company, I think in the UK, that was already called The Clean Bean. Mm-hmm. And so Thank God, because I'm mm. not into the name anymore. I just don't think it's as robust. It doesn't have and, the same ring. No, yeah, it and yep. concise. So we like really paused and really reevaluated. And then my sister and I both thought it would be really amazing to um, give it a nod to our Japanese heritage. My mother is Japanese. Right. And, um, and so we just sort of did a lot of um, like thinking and, and playing around with different words and we both love how ume, which actually means plum, plum blossom mm. in Japanese, and okay. it's um, typically pronounced U-M-E. We love mm. the way that it rolls off the tongue. But if you were to write it U-M-E in English, I don't think phonetically it would work. Mm. Um, so then so then the O-O-M with an accent over the E is what, what came about. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah. Very cool. So white tofu, it sounds to me as if you've got a bit of history with the, with, you know, with the actual product itself. And it's such a, you know, like when I think of tofu, I think of real sort of like handmade sort of process. Mm-hmm. I think I can't remember the documentary that I made, but it was a, a beautiful documentary on the process of making tofu. And, you know, there's so much history that revolves around it as well. So yeah, why tofu for you? Absolutely. Why tofu? It's a story. Um, so as I mentioned, like my father, he was in the food industry and and after um, the wholesale work that he was in, he he became a, a food broker and was really amazing. The best salesperson that I that I know of. Mm. Um, and he was kind of at, at the height of his career doing amazing. Um, and during the pandemic, he was on a scooter and just um, got in a it, just an accident like on his own, he had, um, it was a combination of a health scare in addition to him just falling really hard on it and, um, and hitting his head um, quite traumatically. And so that just shifted the course for all of us. Mm. Um, and my sister and I would spend the second half of the day with my mother. She would sort of have one hour only um, allotted to her because of COVID at the hospital. And we would wait in the waiting rooms for updates just so we could all absorb this information together. And then we would have dinner with her. And so we would meal prep for our children um, and then spend the day with her. And often my sister and I would just be struggling with what to cook Mm. and we would exchange ideas. And smoked tofu was a great protein um, that our kids loved and that we could not find anywhere Mm. um, during this time. My father had also loved smoking. He had a smoker of his own. It was a great pastime. And he gave me his old smoker um, when he bought himself a fancy new one. And so it was just collecting dust. I hadn't even pulled the cover off of it, but I sarcastically told my sister, um, I'll smoke tofu for us. I'll figure it out. Yep. Um, and then he had a lot of ups and downs. And at the end of 2020, um, he, he didn't make it. He ended up passing away. Yeah, I'm so um, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
yeah like it's just something you never expect right no i know and like losing a parent is unlike anything else and fortunately i've got both of my parents but my wife lost her father uh to Mm -hmm. a stroke and it is so hard it's so hard on every individual and you know the family is a collective so yeah i'm sure that you've gone through a hell of a roller coaster so yeah yeah i'm so sorry yeah yeah you just like i mean the epitome of you never know what tomorrow brings Mm. because none of us could have expected that to to come so suddenly Mm. um and and after that i had already been doing a bit of soul searching i took an extended mat leave with my daughter um mental health is amazing Mm. but it just didn't quite seem to fit what i was looking for um and then after all of this um unfolded i kind of just couldn't let go of the idea of really exploring there seemed to be an opportunity um in the food industry I mean, the smoke tofu is back right now, but um, I just felt like there was a good opportunity to explore this. And also as a nod to my father and sort mm. of carrying on his legacy, um, using a smoker just felt like an opportunity to feel yeah. closer to him. Yeah. So for all of those reasons, I just thought, why not? Why not mm. explore it? Mm-hmm. And then um, spent the next year really just learning how to use a smoker, learning how to um, figure out what types of recipes would work well. And the first one was was our traditional like just smoke, which we just use as Himalayan pink salt brine because mm. um, that's what my kids love most. And and then just playing around with different recipes, working with someone to develop an amazing brand because as a consumer myself, I'm very much attracted to something that looks amazing on the yeah. shelf. And I felt yeah. like there was an opportunity there. I, I buy things based on how they look. And then after that, if the product inside is amazing, then like I'm hooked. It'll stick. You got me as yep. a consumer, it sticks. Yep. And I think maybe that's partly from my Japanese heritage mm. in Japan. Things are just so beautifully presented. Packaging yep. is so important. Yeah. Um, so so that's probably a piece of, of where the aesthetic and how important that was to me came from. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I really rambled and went in different directions. No, here. not at all. That's <laughs> why I love this podcast, because we've got the creative freedom to go off on any tangent that we like. So Let's just bring it back though one step. So, you know, tofu, you were talking about the smoking process, but what's the actual process of actually developing the tofu itself for you? Sure. Originally, um, circling back to even like the the first name that we had for the product, I was teaching myself how to make tofu. I was looking for really great soybeans and and playing around with different ones um, and, and taught myself how to make tofu. And it was really incredible, really fun. Um, but super labor intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's that part of it. And then, um, I mean, I would look online. Online art is just like such a great opportunity for inspiration mm-hmm. um, and just find different inspiration for, for marinades. I knew that I wanted a traditional one um, that is just a smoked tofu because that's what my kids love. And so yep. I was trying to fill that gap first and foremost. Okay. Um, and then... Um, being half Japanese, we do lots of Asian cooking in the house. Mm. So something that would lend itself really well to, to stir fries or noodle bowls or ramen um, yep. and a really great source of protein that would go well with that. So that's where the maple soy came up. Yep. Um, and then I just thought a nice balance to that. And it's it's really just based on personal preference and mm-hmm. working with friends and family and getting their feedback. Yep. Um, the Greek one, which mm. lends itself really well to... Just that beautiful a, blue a really box. Good I know. And yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks great as well. So, yeah, I, uh, when I was 
spending some time doing my research on you and your business as well. Like obviously the first place you go is your website. And like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, like those colors just pop and each color represents the flavor that you've actually got in the box of the tofu just so perfectly. And that Greek blue, it's just, you nailed it. It's perfect. Thank you. Thank yep. you. And that's thanks to working just with really talented people as well. I mm. think Tyler Quarles is just incredible. Is it a, um, so he works for a design agency or is he out by himself or he's he's by himself um it's called coral studio and right. and he just um it was very collaborative he was very receptive to the vibe that we were going for yeah. um and to everything that may sort of represented and what our values were and mm. through all of that and lots of conversations he, he just like really nailed it yeah um obviously comes up with a couple of options and mm -hmm. and then it's and then it's my decision to to pick something and really stick with it. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, I That's feel perfect. very fortunate. So for everybody mm -hmm. listening, what I'll do is I'll uh, pop his website down in the show notes for you all to go and check out. But I'm sure I haven't been on his website yet, but I'm sure there's going to be other great work there too. How did you find him? So my sister used to, well, she's on maternity leave, so she mm. was at Lululemon. Um, right. And I, we were really struggling to find somebody that does design work. Um, and there were some that I really admired and we reached out to a few and it just didn't quite feel like the right fit. And, uh, I think my sister was talking to a coworker at one time, just explaining some of the challenges that we were already facing so mm -hmm. early into this. And, uh, it, it was a recommendation through her friend, um, to work with Tyler. I think he had also done some things with Lululemon. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we hooked up. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all about the people that you know. And they're, you know, those, the most valuable relationships I find in business and just like finding right, you know, employees and, you know, the right people for the job and so on. It's always through recommendations and referrals. So yeah, that's really cool. I agree. Networking is so mm. huge and, mm -hmm. and that's where you find the best people because it comes from somebody else's experience. That you trust. Um, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's all trust. Cool. Mm -hmm. So you sorry, you were originally making the product for your family. And at what point did you go, Hey, there could be an opportunity to take this commercial. Like how, do, where did you start? Like to see if there was even an option out there? Did you go out and do some market research? Did you see who your competitors were? Like, what was the analysis that you did to actually arrive in the place where you're like, yeah, I'm going to actually have a crack at this. Sure. Um, I mean, it was, there was definitely a gut feeling of mm. feeling like there was a gap, especially in the height of the pandemic. But in terms of market research, I did go around and, and look to see if there was any competition. There's definitely lots of tofu, but mm. smoked tofu is quite limited. Um, of course, Sunrise makes a great smoked tofu. And I think that's the one that everybody knows and loves. And, and that just disappeared on all of us. Um, but it's back, back yep. now. And then Soya Nova um, on Salt Spring Island, uh, they also make a, a smoked tofu and... I think they have a couple of flavors, but it's it's kind of hard to come by. It's it's sometimes around and sometimes not so much. Mm -hmm. um, and beyond that, um, in terms of smoked tofu um, and specifically in Canada, like I really didn't find anything. And so if anybody knows others, please do let me know. But mm. um, Whole Foods occasionally would bring one in from Germany, I believe. Uh, and it's just a completely different type of smoked tofu product. It's mm. extremely firm. And mm -hmm. um, to me, it's, it's, it's very different. So competition wise, it just felt like a really great opportunity. Um, and then in terms of presentation, again, I just felt like there was a real space to yeah. um, give tofu a bit of a facelift that That's way. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, I can imagine making tofu in your own kitchen and then taking something and commercializing it and scaling it. <laughs> 
are two very, very different things. At what point did you get out of your kitchen and, you know, move into another space? And, uh, you know, did you have to make some adjustments and sort of what lessons did you learn along the road there? Yeah, the first lesson I learned is I cannot make my own tofu. Um, <laughs> my husband was very thoughtful. And um, when I was still in the R&D mode, he actually did some research and and he he ordered like, it's still in terms of size, not enough to, to start a commercial business, but he ordered like a, a legitimate tofu machine mm -hmm. um, and we imported it and we went through all of those sort of um, hoops to bring something here. Yeah. And just in the middle in the of a pandemic. In the middle of the pandemic. So that was challenging. <laughs> yeah. You know, like logistics is still a nightmare, to be locked. honked. Yeah. 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 Lockdown and we yeah. had paid for an extra inspection, but that town had COVID and they yeah. couldn't inspect it. And we're like, yeah. okay, forget about the inspection. So yeah, that's a story in and of itself. We finally got it um, and brought it to our house just to start playing around and learning how to use it. And it was just, it was a disaster. There mm -hmm. was like soybeans flying everywhere. And um, I had like bags of soybeans that I was playing around with and the kids would be watching TV in the house and we would just be juggling all of that. And um, and then he, he did a financial model and just really looked at the viability of it because mm. it's quite lengthy just to make tofu. And then to have to do all of the smoking, yep. um, he, he just was like, you cannot like, uh, you know, one day maybe when it's, it's a really viable business and there's mm. volume, but mm -hmm. it just like, we would be spending money to, yeah. to have this. The startup um, cost would be way too great. And the return absolutely. on that investment as well would be, you know, quite a, a long time I'd imagine too. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, so that was definitely one of the challenges, um, learning how to scale and how to grow. Like right away, I had to just give that up um, and, and source some really amazing local um, organic tofu. So that was right. that was one challenge. Oh, right. Okay. So mm -hmm. you're not producing the tofu anymore. You're just sourcing it and then you're smoking it. Where are you doing all of That's this? That's right. Uh, it's in Vancouver. Um, right. I'm at a commissary right now, which Perfect. which we're also bursting at the seams. But yes, yeah, we're but, currently at a commissary. Yeah, yeah, that's a common theme with everybody that I talk to in a commissary. It's kind of part <laughs> of the fun, though. You know, like everybody is. is in each other's pockets. So everybody knows each other really well. And there's a community around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I mean, I, as as we've talked about, I have no experience in the food industry. Mm. So just getting into the commissary in and of itself was was very overwhelming and intimidating mm. because you're with these people that that know how to work with food. I didn't know how to use the dishwasher on the first day. Someone yep. came and showed me how to pull the lever. Yeah. yeah. Um. So all of that was it's it's an amazing community, and you just yeah. learn so much from everyone around you. Yeah. So that's the good. Yes. Yeah, that's really cool. So stepping into the food industry for the first time, like yes, it would have been daunting. Like a lot of us have grown up in the industry. I started when I was twelve, and you know, it seems to be that people that are in the industry have been in it for life. And it's not very often that someone from the outside will come in. And so, what was the? You just said that it was, you know, kind of daunting. What was the initial feel? Like I feel like everybody's really warm and giving of their time, and it's not clicky and you know, um, especially when you're on LinkedIn, like it's kind of the world that we live in it. I don't know. There's something about it. That's just, um, it brings energy to me. And I know it brings a lot of energy to the other people, but how have you found it? All of the above Hayden. Mm. It's been, it's been such a positive experience. Mm. Um, at first when I was still, you know, very much in the R and D phase and I kind of would lean on, um, my my dad's friends who are in yeah. the industry yeah. and just asking for some advice and, and getting a little bit of a, a leg up here and there. I was borrowing a vacuum machine from somebody yeah. and, and their take was, um, you know, keep your cards close to yourself. Don't share too much. Like watch mm -hmm. out Mickey. And then I would just 
um, like, you know, just over Instagram, I would send a message to Jade through, through Yogu and she was so incredible yeah. right yeah. away a meeting, right away offering some mentorship and just very giving of her time and of resources and of advice. Save to see with Aki again, mm-hmm. same thing. Um, Whose Sarah products from are Chewy's. awesome. Yeah. Products oh, Sarah awesome. from Chewy's. I had Sarah, Sarah on the show. Chewy's. Sarah's awesome. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She's a client and, of ours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of these people, um, it's just, it's just such an uplifting experience. Everybody's mm-hmm. willing to give their advice, um, and their experience and, and, you know, what to watch out for and what to yeah. go in for. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really great community, especially the plant-based one, which I really leaned into. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at the commissary, I would often just like roam around and ask people for yeah. advice. Yeah. Uh, and it's been great. Yeah. yeah. You know, that whole, um, hold your clo- hold your cards close kind of mentality. I get it. Like I totally get it, but I, I was fortunate enough. I did my master's in entrepreneurship and innovation at university. <clears throat> Same sort of um, mentality there at uni. It's like, you don't want to talk to people about your ideas, but what I've found and the common theme of this podcast is people share their ideas. You know, it's one thing to go overboard and overshare that's for sure but like to actually like you know have conversations and discuss ideas and you know really problem solve with people I I don't think there's anything scary about it like I get the whole sort of um I get it I really do but then it's one thing to take somebody's idea and then execute on it as well like there's so much that needs to go into the execution of an idea that so if someone's willing to steal an idea and then execute it it's like holy shit they've actually done it but I don't think it's going to happen very frequently you know yeah, no, I agree with you. I think you hit it. Like, of course, there's there's a fine line between yeah, oversharing sure. and yeah, and just there's a time and a place advice. for it. Yeah, absolutely. But but I agree. Like, um, by and far, it's 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 the opposite of holding your cards close to you. Everybody is just mm. so great mm-hmm. um, and so willing to give advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when I think about a business like yours. And, you know, the the exceptional piece is that you haven't come from the hospitality industry. You've moved from like an idea you've turned it into a reality. Now in those early stages, when you're like, okay, I'm going to commercialize this. I'm actually going to go to market. You probably had the idea of getting into retail, direct to consumer, just like everybody. But when you were like thinking about like the resources required to start up the business, obviously there's the financial component of it. There's the labor and hands-on component of it all. But when you were sort of running your projections and you were like trying to crunch the numbers and try and figure out, you know, where you were going to put the product into the market in terms of like cost, did you consider margins? Like what was sort of your, where was your head and sort of like, where were you at in that space? And, you know, what was some of the lessons that you learned along that road? Because, um, you know, there are people out there who you had just got off a phone call with Andrea Gray Grant, who we're also familiar with on this podcast. I've had her on twice and, you know, everybody in the industry knows Andrea and has got so much time and respect for her. But, um, you know, at what point did you find Andrea and who else have you sort of been turning to for sort of that element of coaching? Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, the first person that I really sought out was a food scientist. Mm, I don't know anything about, you know, how do I manage shelf life? How do I do nutritional labels? Which which I ended up learning about. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Water content, all of those pieces. Um, And so I found a really fantastic food scientist. Her name is Lara Tiro and and she's Vancouver based. Um, And through working with her and consulting um, and a lot of it still definitely landed on my shoulders to learn. She just offered some really great resources and tools, uh, which I am so happy for. Like anything that I can learn and take on myself, um, it's great because you just feel like you have so much more of a handle on the business. Um, But actually it was her recommendation to apply for the From the Ground Up trade show. And then when I was on that website, I stumbled upon the Sprout series, Mm -hmm. which was just everything I was trying to overcome in the moment. Um, 
And so that was a little bit serendipitous, um, but I really left up the opportunity to take part in that. And, and, and that gave me so many of the tools and so much insight and also just so much reassurance that the challenges I was facing were not atypical. A lot of the other young entrepreneurs um, that are just about to launch a product or have just launched a product were going through as well. Mm -hmm. um, things like the nutritional labels and CFIA compliance, um, figuring out, you know, how to just enter the market, putting together a sell sheet. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff was just yeah. so brand new. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's definitely some of the resources that I went on mm. uh, at the beginning. And then mentors. I mean, they're, they're local um, female-owned entrepreneurs mm. that I just really admire and, and have seen how they've started and how they've grown so much. And I just really aspire to that. That's cool. uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, you know, being an academic and, you know, with all of your background, were you looking for a textbook to refer to, <laughs> you know, because there aren't any, like, you know, all of the startup textbooks and all of that kind of stuff, they are either full of fluff. They're full of case studies, which are great, but I mean, you can only learn so much from a case study and the real learning occurs when rubber hits the road and you're actually doing, but like, did you, were you looking for textbooks? And I guess that's why, you know, Andrea's website's so great. Cause it's like, this is what I want. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Yeah. yeah, no, Andrew like definitely filled that void for me. And I mean, I wasn't looking for textbooks, but I just voraciously listened to any entrepreneurial mm. podcast. Like I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with Guy Raz's How I Built yep. This, just because you hear people's struggles and then mm. it, it does work out in the end if you keep persevering. Yeah, for um, sure. And so it's, it's more just very humbling and reassuring and motivating. Um, those are the types and yours too, Hayden, like Thank I've you. listened to so many of your podcasts are, they're really great. I appreciate um, that. Yeah. And, and even Tim Ferriss, like learning how to just be really efficient and, um, and, and find the right tools and use tools to really help you and guide you. So, yeah, uh, I love Tim as well. He's awesome. Yeah. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that I love about Tim is that, you know, obviously like he's such a great business mind and such an entre entrepreneurial mind. And, you know, the four hour work week is something that I refer to frequently because it does seem to be an element, like there are the keys to sort of breaking free of the nine till five and so on, which is, you know, really appealing. Um, but mm -hmm. then, you know, the thing that I really respect about Tim is his approach to mental health as well. And, you know, he's such an advocate of, um, of health mental health care and psychedelics and like that really resonates with me too i see a lot of value in that you've probably picked up on that because i've mentioned it a few times now <laughs> um but yeah i love tim ferris too yeah yeah he's, awesome. no, he's fantastic i just yeah. love how he interviews people he's he's mm. very detail-oriented and he, he goes very much in depth but yeah. it's fascinating to see how people operate and how they they mm. turn um their passions into success yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Now, I feel as if we've sort of talked about, you know, the initial startup phase, uh, we've touched on production and some of the challenges there. We've talked about the industry and the excitement that you've found, um, you know, entering into it. One thing, you know, the other side of the business now that you've hit the ground and you've actually got into production is obviously marketing, sales and distribution. With your dad coming from the distribution sort of side of the world, I can imagine that you have some context there. So I think we'll get, we'll get into that. But tell me about like, you know, initial marketing, social media and uh, and some sales as well. Social media was the most intimidating side for me, Hayden. Um, and originally, you know, when my sister and I were kind of partnering into this business, mm -hmm. I had always imagined like I would be focused on the business side, growing the business, figuring out the recipe, um, figuring out the production. Yeah. And then, and she would just be marketing, like, you know, um, front of house, really pushing it forward. And, and I will say if it wasn't for both of us entering into the business together, I never would have had the courage to start yeah. this because it's so scary. 
but she she got pregnant and um, ended up just thinking it would be for the best for her Priorities to shifted. focus on family. Yeah. 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 And so I took this on. Um, and marketing was absolutely intimidating for me. Mm. So in terms of building up the brand, I'm very fortunate that we have a really solid mm. brand. And I think that that's a huge advantage for marketing. Yeah. Um, and I was playing around and, and putting some posts out on Instagram, and I still am very involved, but definitely have leaned on um, some family to, to just help out cool. um, a cousin who knows all about putting together reels and, and pushing yeah. um, posts forward. And, and so that side uh, has been really fantastic. And then um, in terms of other sides of marketing, I've just put lots of time and energy into doing demos and pushing mm. the brand out that way and getting people to taste the product trying to participate in events as much as possible for me the goal really is just brand awareness right now um yeah. in a bootstrapped manner so yeah. like we're not you know we're not promoting our brand through sponsored ads or influencers mm -hmm. we don't have the funds for that but um pushing it out through demos and, and other avenues yeah i would say that's our marketing strategy right now yeah that's yeah. perfect getting the product into as many mouths as you can yeah that's cool exactly sales have you found sales? You said that um, your father was your, uh, I guess you could say, um, the pinnacle of what you sort of see sales to be. So how have you found it for you? I would listen to him talk on the phone and he was just so great at it. And I always thought like, that is not me. Like, I will never be able to put myself out there like that. I, it's just so intimidating to put yourself forward and be so vulnerable. Um, but I find... I really love it. And I've been able to put a different spin on it. I, mm. I have, you know, at the beginning for sure, and we're still at the beginning, but I will just walk into a store that I really think would be a great fit for our product mm -hmm. um, and just give a little bit of a spiel about it and, and offer some samples. And then it's like relentlessly following up yeah. in a polite way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just like, and usually it's a bandwidth thing where they just don't have the time to try the sample, but once they do, the feedback has really been incredible. That's cool. And that's yeah. really the way that we've gotten into a lot of our stores. Yeah, persistence. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, when you were listening to your dad on the phone, like what was his approach to selling? Like if you were to sort of like encapsulate your dad and his mm -hmm. approach to selling, what would it be? Um, he was really great at relationship building. Mm -hmm. Like he could always find a common thread and he mm -hmm. worked with, you know, people of all different ethnicities and backgrounds, lots of people that... Um, like he would meet them where they are. You could hear him like slow down and speaking and just articulate things differently depending on which customer he was speaking to on the other end. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, he would just build relationships and find a common thread. And he was really great at just going and mm -hmm. being in person and 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 being like right in front of somebody to make sure that he would seal the deal. Um, and, and just lots of networking, lots of chatting. Like he was, yeah. he was very social, very personal, yeah. personable, yeah. um, which I'm, I'm growing into. It's definitely outside of my comfort zone, but, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a really rewarding side of the business as well. Isn't it? Yeah. Sales for me. I love it. I, I've never been happier in my career. So that sort of resonates with me. You know, um, there's something about turning up and meeting a client with a big smile on your face and then slowing down, like you suggested, and talking about their kids and life. And it doesn't have to be all business up front because like you said, like you're two people just trying to build a connection and trust. And, you know, it's more about, for me, where I've seen success in sales, it is. It's all of the the great deals that I've done. It's because I feel as if both parties know each other really well. 
you know, mm -hmm. and there is like an element of trust there. It's that's all that you've got in sales, I think, is your word and your reputation and trust. It's really bizarre that it's so simple. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. And I think like it's not always about just feeling a deal right there in that moment. Mm. Like sometimes you're investing mm -hmm. and and just, you know, building a relationship and yeah. it'll come back in the future. Yeah. But if you just have that ongoing relationship, um, yeah. then something positive will come from it. It might not be what you expect at the beginning, yeah. but yeah. I do think it comes back in space if you just continue and, and maintain and, yeah. and build on a relationship. Yeah, for sure. And it's just like anything, but you have to be authentic. Like you actually have to care and there's no faking it. There's no faking it. Like people know straight away, they can see through you. They're like, you're only here to sell me something that I don't actually need. Like you don't actually care what my problems are and what I, what you like, what we need to solve together. Like people can see it. I, I feel it when people try to sell to me, I'm like, there's nothing there. It's really, yeah, yeah you can, yeah, it's you really transparent. Authentic. Exactly. That's cool. It sounds to me like your dad, um, I don't know, to bring it back to sort of like an academic sort of piece as well. Like he had certain great um, emotional intelligence as well. EI, like, you know, to oh. be able to be authentic and connect on that level and, uh, and be able to do that with people from all walks of life. You know, there's a huge emotional intelligence piece there. Absolutely. I mean, he was self-taught in, mm. you know, and, and in the most traditional way, like he didn't, I think he just barely finished high school. He didn't do any higher education. Mm -hmm. He just worked his way up from the ground and, but was a voracious reader mm. and, you know, loved all types of books. And so he would be able to talk to somebody about anything, whether it be history or travels or, or mm. food, like he just could find a common ground. And yeah. so, yes, you're right. The emotional intelligence part, I think like he was, he was um, very talented in. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So distribution. Are you starting to search for distributors? How's your success been there? Yes, we are starting to look at distribution. I mean, um, I think for some, like it might feel too early, but for us, we are faced with opportunities to really grow. And mm. so now it's a matter of, well, how are we going to get them to all of the locations that, yeah. you know, that we're, be, that we're lucky enough to be presented with? Mm. Um, and, and it's an amazing opportunity to be able to look at distribution and then pull that time back and be able to work um on the business yeah as opposed to in the business yeah and so we're definitely looking at distribution and i think we're going to be signing on with somebody um very shortly and, uh, and congratulations yeah thank you yeah it's a scary it's a scary sort of transition mm. because you're giving up a piece of of the pie that like we've been handling on ourselves mm -hmm. but i think you have to if you want to grow um, and it's part of the growing pains. Yep. So I'm excited for that next chapter and, and we'll see where it takes us. That's cool. Let's talk a little bit more about you, Mickey. So you're the founder and CEO of the business. And we've, you know, discussed, you know, when you decided to go all in on your vision, we've discussed your advisors that you've been leveraging and some natural skills that you've leveraged as well. We've discussed the skills that you've outsourced as well, like the actual production of the tofu. You're producing the, like you're actually smoking it. Did you end up buying a larger smoker? I ended up buying a larger smoker and we're yep. actually just about to buy our second smoker. So oh, that's wow. really exciting. Okay, yeah. cool. Let's chat um, about yeah. the smoke a little bit. So like, what are you smoking it with? Like what kind of wood chips? Sure. So at the beginning we were using maple wood chips, um, mm -hmm. but uh, my father-in-law actually has a beautiful cherry orchard out in Oliver. Oh, cool. And we thought it would be amazing if we could yep. leverage some of the cherry wood. And so we've been playing around with that and it works mm. really well. Yep. Um, and so we're smoking with cherry wood right now and, and it just 
feels like it's a really good opportunity to to close the loop on some of mm. um, the resources that we have and be mm. more sustainable that way. Yeah. Um, and and so yes, it's in a smoker. Um, it's getting all of that natural smoke um, and that that um, really great smokiness in the product with the cherry wood. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, mm-hmm. if you had the opportunity to go back to before you started with the knowledge that you have now, what business advice would you give yourself? The business advice, I don't know if it's business advice or life advice. I would just give myself more of the benefit of the doubt and have Mm. more faith in myself. I think that's still something I'm trying to remind myself of every day. Um, But it's like to really believe in what you're doing. If, If I really want to push myself to sort of be the best that I can be and mm. to model to my children mm. what it means to do something that's really important and that fulfills you. Um, you have to really believe in yourself. And so I think, I think like that's just what I would remind myself of and, mm. and to give myself um, more credit and, and have more faith in my abilities. Mm-hmm. Listen to your gut. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's incredible. Like I still find it frequently like i seem to feel as if i know the answer to a big question pretty quickly but then you know thoughts creep in and you know i analyze and so on and then i reflect on it i'm like i actually knew what direction i wanted to go in right from the very start and it's listening to that initial thought is probably pretty critical yeah i agree i think it's like that initial gut feeling Mm is the right one and then yeah and then you start to second guess yourself and my Mm. packaging is a perfect example of that is it i knew yeah i knew from the beginning i wanted beautiful packaging and Mm. i was going to spend the money and invest in the branding to do that um and then i would talk to other you know people in the food industry and they would learn how much i'm spending on it and they just thought like you know that you don't spend that much on packaging like that's Mm. crazy your Mm -hmm. hogs are too high and like I know my costs are high, but you know, once we scale, like it's going to be reasonable, and the packaging is your unit cost will decrease. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and so I had to really like, I I really did stick with my gut um, mm. on that one, mm-hmm. and second guess myself the whole way, but stuck with it. And I I think that that's really um, a really significant part of the success we've had so far in terms cool. of brand recognition. Yeah, that's actually really nice to hear because that's, I have that conversation a lot with people like, you know, um, when they're in their startup phase and they want to move into a custom package, um, you know, quite often because they're ordering at minimum order quantities, MOQ, mm-hmm. it's really expensive, like really expensive. So and, expensive. you know, you have the conversation. It's like, all right, this is where you are right now to get into the market. And this is the way that you want to present to your consumer, but it's going to come at a cost. So some of the clients that we work with, like, yes, they maintain their cogs by, you know, on their P&L by distributing a portion of the packaging cost to the actual cogs. And then they account for a portion of their packaging as a marketing expense. So they sort of like seem to balance it that way. And then it'll eventually balance out because they're like, yeah, like packaging is marketing, like at the end of the day. And, um, so yeah, they do that. And then we also, you know, look forward into the future and we're like, well, here you are right now ordering MOQ, but like later on down the road, like as you have scaled the business, this is what you're looking at as a unit cost, you know? So like we break it down and so you can sort of like project forward into the future. And then they also have a really good understanding that like, this isn't forever as my business grows, like, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel too. So yeah, to hear that that's been your approach has been really cool. And I think it's important for a lot of people to hear that because you, there are some things you just don't want to cut corners on. And, uh, you know, it is really easy to balk at a price and, um, but, you know, I think it's important to also step back 
and you know open up the aperture of like the way that you're analyzing the data and go hang on like there is a way through this as well yeah no i couldn't agree with i, I couldn't agree with it more i think you really have to like bank on the future and mm -hmm. give yourself the benefit of the doubt there because for me it was the same thing like you look at that moq and of course i invested in i think i went like one up on on the minimums to, to try and pull the price down but yeah. Like, uh, am I going to even run through that many packages? Yeah, like, I know it's a scary thought. Cold? It's really scary, but yeah, but yeah, if you if you look at the long haul, the long run, um, and really assume that this is going to be a success and the cogs are going to be worth it, and mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, and I I think like investing in your brand and investing in how you present to the world, yeah, is a is a really good approach. At least nowadays, I think there's just so much value in that, and, and yeah. you have to be competitive um, yeah. in the supermarket. For sure. Mm -hmm. Last question. If we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? What would I have accomplished? Um, I mean, we will, we will be well into distribution um, and, and have a great relationship that way and be able to just really saturate British Columbia. That's the goal is, mm -hmm. to, is to be really present in BC. Um, we're also at a fork in the road with do we explore co-manufacturing? Do we just really start to think about building our own facility and, and what would that look like and what are the mm. risks um, and benefits to both sides? And so a year from now, I would hope that we've made a really solid decision and we're yeah. well into whatever that process looks like. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that those are like the two main goals for us right now is, is and being really present in BC would mean, you know, that we've landed a few really great accounts and yeah. some of the the bigger chain grocery stores. Awesome. Those would be the goals. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of work ahead for you, but yeah. I think that it's all definitely achievable and I'm really excited to, you know, continue watching you grow on LinkedIn and yeah, good luck with it all. Thank you so much, Hayden. This was really fun. It has been fun. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you and uh, learn a little bit more or ask you some questions, what's the best way to go about it? Um, they can DM me on Instagram. We're at this is Ume, O-O-M-E. Um, I mean, you can also email me directly, Mickey, M-I-K-I, at thisisume.com. Um, I'm very present on LinkedIn as well. So any of those avenues um, you would be able to reach me at. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you very much for your time and good luck once again. Thank you so much, Hayden. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, Mickey Talebi from Ume, episode 95 is in the books. Um, now, before we get on with our week, just one more thing. If you have a business and you'd like to be featured on this podcast or you know of an entrepreneur and a great business who should be featured on this show, you need to let me know. And the best way to get in touch with me, like I said at the start of the episode, is to contact me at Hayden at the Pack Heavy Podcast. Dot com, or you can also find me on LinkedIn at Hayden Thompson. Uh, okay, we'll be back next week with episode 96 with Justin from Just Those Dips. He'll be back for the second time. Uh, really looking forward to that one. And thanks once again for your time. Cheers. Cheers.